Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you're in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Hey listeners, it's Will here. Our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. If you've ever listened to our show, then you know that the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. So if you suspect technology is your weak link, then book a call with us to see where we can help maximize your company's IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. Today's guest is Kelly Lazuka. Kelly is the CEO of Fullerton Engineering. She has been in the wireless industry for 23 years. Before joining Fullerton in 2021, she was with SAC Wireless, a Nokia company. Kelly found her niche in VP of Operations and the principal architect of SAC's centralized concept for front-end services. This new assembly line-like model brought site acquisition, A&E, scoping, and closeouts under the same umbrella, resulting in reduced cycle times for customers and reduced annual overhead. As CEO, Kelly leads the entire organization, which includes PMO, fiber, small cell, and DOS design, as well as construction services. Over the years, Fullerton has been recognized and ranked by many different outlets, including Engineering News Record, Top 25 Design Firms and Telecommunications, Crane's Chicago Fast 50, and Inc. 5000, to name a few. So, Kelly, welcome to the welcome show. show. Well, thank you for having me, Will and Justin. It's great to be with you today. Yes, we're excited to, to hear your very vast knowledge of all things engineering and construction <laughs> and and just telecommunications in general. So tell us your origin story. Tell us how it started. Where where, where did the start come and, and why? And tell us a little bit about Fullerton. Uh, so I started in 1999 with, as you mentioned, SAC Wireless. I had been with them for over 22 years before coming to Fullerton. I started out as a what we called a site acquisition specialist at the time. And basically, you know, you drive down the street right now and you see all these cell towers. Well, you know, 24 years ago, they weren't they weren't here. And so my first job was on the road in a bunch of farmland. And I had to knock on farmers doors and ask them if they would lease a piece of land to us for, you know, like $250 a month. Farmers and landlords are much wiser these days. Um, <laughs> and, and we would build, you know, we would basically get all the zoning and permitting needed. We'd ink the deal with the farmer with the or the landlord and uh you know get everything ready to go to construction for for me I was working on the AT&T account at the time so uh that was my first job at SAC I was on the road a lot you know, I wasn't married I didn't have a family I was much much younger and you were living uh, the road a, warrior dream you know knocking crazy. on doors do, doing That's doing right. it all that's right. Crazy time. Rental cars and company credit cards. And, you know, so um, I thought I was living the high life. Um, <laughs> and then uh, from there, I just kind of started learning everything I could. I had a, it was a really good company. It was a small company at the time. 
Um, I think I was the 22nd employee when they hired me. And then, you know, I, I, when I left, I mean, they had uh, close to 2000 employees. So, um, you know, it's, it, it started out to be a very small company. So there was a lot of room to kind of learn and, you know, try different things. And it was really easy to, to shift around. And that's what I did. And then I just kind of moved up to project manager and program manager. And I, I think I even held like a troubleshooter title at one point. And then, you know, in 20, right around the end of 2011, um, we had one carrier come to us and say, hey, we're kind of behind on our LTE build out and we need to do it fast and we need to do it cheap. And so this this centralized concept of like moving things from, you know, having dedicated teams per for each milestone and just kind of moving a site through each step, uh, this factory like model was born. And I remember my boss telling me, well, you, how many people do you need? And I said, I think we need about 110. And he was like, well, where are you going to find 110? <laughs> and, you know, honestly, we just, I, I sat down and I'm like, started making phone calls to friends, family. Hey, you want a new career? I got something for you. And I just came up with a really robust um, training program. And I figured if I had some people who could, you know, had a great work ethic and, transferable skills. I could teach them the industry, I think. Um, as it turned out, we could. And it gave a lot of people a lot of opportunity. And a lot of those, I call them kids. I don't even know if I can say that on here, but they were so young, you know, and a lot of those kids, my engine room, my kids are, you know, in air in at different companies now where they're in positions to actually give out work. So I'm calling in all my favors, as you can imagine. Ah, there um, we go. <laughs> but so that I, you know, I, I I stayed with that concept with that model for a really long time. In the last couple of years, I was with the SAC. I actually moved on to the sales side, so I'd go sell it more because we really had just two buyers of that big concept, and we wanted, you know, we wanted more. So I started kind of maneuvering through the sales piece and just ran the sales team for the last two years I was there. And then Nokia started to absorb everybody. And I just opted for the, you know, I just opted to leave at that point. Awesome. That's so what about, it's not that exciting. I know it's exciting. You, you, <laughs> you uh, are part of a big uh, creation of this new concept. You yeah. also got to hire, you know, 110 people that may or may not be able to do that job. That's yes. a, those are all exciting things. And over the years though, at, at, at its peak, that model, we, I had 450 people and they were coming. If you can believe this, cause you don't hear this anymore. They were coming into the office every day. We had a couple floors in the city of Chicago uh, in an office building, and at its peak, there were about 450 people. If you if you can believe, that's it. a lot. Yeah, that's yeah. a lot. It was exciting. It was exciting. That's fun. So, what about Florida? So, you obviously go, you you end your uh, ten tenure at uh, SAC, and you go to Florida, and uh, tell us about Florida. Yeah. So when I left, I, I actually thought about going out on my own. And when I left SAC and I was really thinking about it and I, you know, I, I, I had a company incorporated and I was really like trying to get up the courage to do it. And then just like for the heck of it, Fullerton was looking for a new president of their wireless services. So wireless is the site acquisition, which I did, you know, in my early years, but also the design of those cell, cell sites and utility coordination to get the power and fiber to those cell sites. So they were looking for a president of wireless and a good friend of mine at the time was CEO of Fullerton. And he came to me and was like, wait, 
you can come and do everything you want to do. You would want, you would do on your own, but you can use somebody else's money to do it. So I'm like, well, I got two kids in college. I got three at home still. I'm like, yeah, you know what? That is a better idea. So that's how I got, that's how I went over to uh, Fullerton in uh, July of 2021 as their president of wireless services. Shortly thereafter, the CEO left. Um, We had an interim CEO for a period of time for about a year. And then it was this past August, I was named CEO. So it was really exciting, an exciting step in my career because it was kind of the next step for me. And I thought maybe the only way I might get there is if I did have my own thing. So this was a really, uh, it was very refreshing that the board had that faith in me. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah you you want to go off on your own? And you're like, no, we yeah. want you. We want you. Come come on. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. So I and believe me, my husband was like, Yeah, let's not have to figure out how to put this thing together now, you know. So uh it, it actually worked out. It worked out very well. Yeah. I need to ask, when you obviously having a bunch of resources is great, just yeah. sort of starting, right? Yeah. Was there anything else that you noticed? Because this wasn't a clean slate. Was there anything that you noticed that needed to be addressed regarding people, processor technology kind of walking in the door? Yes, very, very much so. I More so than I could have imagined. I, I was given a little bit of a heads up that the culture was broken. There, they, I did, I did have that heads up, but I also thought that it was a good opportunity not only to come in and build something great for them, but to come in and fix these things that I actually had some experience in, right? Building a culture with at SAC in a model that had 75% millennials in it, you know, I mean, I, the culture, it was a certainly a culture shift from, you know, ten, the 10 years pr- prior to that. So um, I had some experience with that. So it was a little exciting to me. I, I didn't probably think it was as bad as it actually was when I got there. Uh, the divisions were very broken. So they were very, um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, they had these three divisions and it was every every division for themselves. They weren't working as a team, as like company Fullerton. They were working as, you know, outside plant and fiber division, wireless division, you know, construction and DAS division. And they they weren't they weren't very supportive of each other. And so it was very difficult to have them collaborate because they were keeping things so close to the vest for whatever reason. I mean, I wasn't there. Some of those employees were there 10, 20 years. And I'm sure that like with all companies, there was ups and downs and hiring and layoffs. And, you know, people, people are always worried about their jobs. Right. So, um, you know, they had this like crazy meeting cadence where, you know, they had these like weekly meetings, but I I'm sitting there and I'm like, what are we accomplishing? You know? So I, there was just, they just needed more structure. But I was only one division, so I could only affect that one division, you know. And uh, so I thought it would be a good place to start because when I when I started at Fullerton, I wasn't planning on being the CEO. I, that wasn't it wasn't even a thought in my head. So I just had to fix this one division. But it was difficult because my one division did have to collaborate with the others, and it was like you know trying to pull teeth. So um, I think since becoming CEO, I've we've kind of really bridge those gaps between those divisions by pushing more of that collaboration 
you know, I've kind of torn down the walls. Like you, you guys, it, you're not doing anybody any favors by keeping everything to yourself. You're not mentoring. You're not, um, you're not showing that you could be a good leader. Like you, you're not doing, you're not doing yourself any favors and you're certainly not doing your team any favors. So we started to kind of bridge those gaps. Um, but the other thing that I noticed when I got there was that they, Fullerton really was, had very limited use of technology that our industry is using along with outsourcing. They had a huge labor pool, which was fine if our pricing from our customers wasn't being driven down so quickly by all these competitors out there. And so it was, I was, as I was going through just the financials, I'm like, they just can't afford this big labor pool anymore. There's, we have to, we have to figure something else out. Automation is a good reason, is a good way, you know, outsourcing or offshoring, depending on where you do it. And so they weren't really taking advantage of a lot of those, um, some, a little bit here and there, but, but not how they should have been. That has changed. You know, we really kind of, you know, we, we, we have some legacy people. I brought some new people in, some of my, my SAC people. Um, and so I think by doing that, it, it really kind of shifted the culture, but it also brought fresh eyes on new ideas of how to save money too. So separate, anytime that a culture is broken and you have separate like silos, you know, you yeah. have different divisions that are siloed out, that causes lots of collaboration problems. How, how do you start addressing those? Like, how do you start fixing that? Like, obviously you're starting with one and you're saying, we're going to be more collaborative with these other teams that I don't oversee. Uh, and But now you're CEO. So how, how do you break down those barriers? Yeah. So, you know, it really starts with our customers. So our customers are now giving out work more turnkey. So it's now affecting all, you know, all three of my divisions are four now. All four of my divisions have to be they have to be in lockstep if we're going to take this work and it benefits all of them. The, the revenue from a turnkey project is very beneficial to all of them, mm -hmm. but customers don't want to deal with four different people. They want me to give them one point of contact here and streamline them. And that's, that's what we've been selling to our bigger customers is give us everything. We're going to make your P we're going to make your PM burden go away. Like if you give me everything, I'm going to do that, but they, they don't want to have to check in with four different people. Yeah. So the customer actually, believe it or not, force the issue at, at first. And then it was just a matter of sitting them down and resetting the expectations. Listen, you're all very good. <laughs> okay, You're all smart people. You're very good leaders, but we're going to make you better. We're going to make you better leaders. And we're going to implement these things that are going to force you all to operate the same way. So things like site tracker, that is our, our, you know, our project management and financial tool of record. They were using it for a financial management tool, but nobody was using it for um, uh, project management. So when I got there, I'm like, hey, how many sites, you know, in your wireless world do you have? And my poor VP of wireless was like, I'm going to need a day to get back to you because I have to look at like 15 different people's Ooh. trackers. You know? and I'm oh, like, man. No, oh, boy. <laughs> that is not going to work. So. Of course, my team, we, we came from Site Tracker. I don't know if I can say that. I mean, I, I'm not sure. I don't get yeah. anything for saying that. I hope it's okay that I'm saying that. But um, maybe they'll sponsor the podcast and we'll all win <laughs> on this situation. <laughs> um, but, you know, I we came from Site Tracker at SAC. So most of my team knew it anyway. So it was very easy to jump into the project management piece of it. But the other, nobody was mandating that the other divisions use it. 
Okay, so that changed quickly, as you can imagine. <laughs> Everybody, I don't even want to see another tracker. That is like a fireable offense if I see a personal tracker. So, you know, we, we got everybody into the same tool of record. Now they can all see what's going on, right? They can see what's forecasted to be done. They can see whose turn is it to do this? Like, what's the handoff? They didn't have that transparency before. So that really divided them. Now that they can see what each other is doing and where they need to come in, it it almost was like a, a natural thing. Now it helps that we stripped down the leaders too. I mean, you know, we don't have, the leaders of the other division are all new. They're all new. So that helped too. Um, so I kind of got to put the people there that really like we're buying into this, to the cultural shift. Now you said we had a board meeting yesterday. You sit at the board meeting with my leaders and they are truly one team, truly one team. I, and even the, um, the board members said, you know, feel the same way that there's just been this, this shift. But, you know, I was the stranger. I was the outsider, you know, like I said, a lot of these people had been there for so long. So that was a challenge in itself, just getting them to listen to me because, you know, I'm the new girl in town. I'm a girl which, you know, didn't, didn't always work in my favor. Um, but we've come such a long way since I've been here. This company has come such a long way. They put a lot of trust in me. The people there put a lot of trust in me. Um, you know, I always said that, and, and I, and I make sure I tell my people this too, that my people come first. Customers are a distant second because I can't deliver for these customers. I won't even have them if I don't have the good people here. So I think they started to believe me at some point because you can see each group, there was a, a distinct turning point where they're like, okay, this, this girl's legit. Like she's, she, she cares about us. She cares about growing the company, making sure we have a place to work, making sure we have customers to deliver for. And then it just, the rest of it just kind of happened. The magic happened, I suppose. The magic happened. Yeah. That's the most fulfilling when you see <laughs> yeah. the change, when it's like, yeah. I've been preaching, you know, I'm over here preaching the thing and yeah. it happened like it happened. It happens in stages and it's like, oh, it does. The best. It does. Yeah. And you kind of sit back and look at it on the days, the hard days, the tough days where you have all these customer escalations and your, you know, your people have done some kind of knucklehead things. I do kind of sit back and I'm like, we've come such a long way. Like those things seem so minor um, because Fullerton has come a long way and they're the people there, the teams, they're strong. I mean, they're the best in the industry as far as I'm concerned. That's awesome. So what other cultural shifts did you uh, either have to implement different policies or obviously working from home, bonus structures? I mean, like there's lots of things that uh, go into culture. Everybody always is like, oh, well, we talk and we we have social events or we do these things. And it's like, no, like changing a system and everybody works in the same system. That's that changes culture, like mm -hmm. site tracker for you. Or, uh, you know, hey, we work in the office. We have a hybrid situation. Everybody works remote. Like that's a culture shift. So what are what are some other things that you've done? Well, you know, when we wanted to everybody to come back, you know, as COVID started to kind of get less worrisome for people, I suppose, we we wanted people to come back in the office. The problem was that we we just our competitors, they were, you know, they're just not all doing it. It's like everybody kind of had to be on the same page and like force the issue. Otherwise, you know, people were leaving or saying they're going to leave because you know, they were comfortable working remote or whatever. Mm -hmm. But what, what has happened is that, so, so what we did was I, we said, let's not force the issue. Let's just say, Hey, we want you guys to come in once a month or twice a month, whatever. I kind of leave it up to each division. 
and you kind of set these days. So every other Wednesday, the wireless team is going to come into the office. And when you're here, we're going to have a bags tournament set up. So when you guys take your breaks, you go, you go throw your nice. bags. You, you know, you're good. So we kind of like suck them in with like, and we're going to buy lunch. And, and then they got into the office and they started collaborating with each other. And they're like, Oh, I really missed like talking to adults during the day, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So we started out that way with just these little like tidbits and kind of enticing them. And then now when we say, Hey, we want everybody in the office for this meeting, nobody even bats an eye, you know? So it's getting better that I, I like a hybrid model, but I don't like a hybrid model like twice a month. Like I wish I could have everybody in the office maybe two or three times a week. That would be my my goal. I don't know if we ever get there, but that's certainly my goal because I I do believe, I remember when I was at SAC, gosh, you know, I'd have to get up and close my door. It was so loud. And I come out, I'm like, I'm, I'm on a phone call, but they're working on a problem. They are collaborating on a problem. That warmed my heart. I love that stuff, you know? And so- um, I, I see that now, you know, when they're here periodically, so I'm hoping we'll get back to it, but giving my leaders the, it, like empowering them, that is an, another cultural shift that, that, and I don't just mean my division leaders. I mean, my PMs, I mean, my vice presidents, I mean, every layer that has some sort of leadership capabilities, empowering them to make decisions First of all, it showed I trusted them, but then it built the trust in me too, which was really huge um, because they didn't have that. They they weren't empowered to make decisions all the time. And some of the things it's like, I don't, there's nothing you can't do in your role where I can't walk back. I mean, unless you murder someone, you know, <laughs> I, we're not curing cancer here. We're not, you know, we're not working for NASA or something could blow up like what does it, if you make a bad decision, we can probably walk it back and you're going to learn from that mistake, right? You're going to learn from that lesson. And so they, not, that was never the mentality there. It was like very, um, you know, like the higher ups really made all the decisions. Right. And so when you take something like pricing and put it into a, you know, a, a division vice president's hands and say, you, you have to deliver on it. Do you want the pricing? If you want to take it, you got to make margin. Do you want to pass? That's your choice to pass because we're not taking, we're not doing work for customers where we can't make money anymore. So giving them that was a huge cultural shift. If probably one of the biggest, because that's not something they had really experienced. The trust, you have to trust before you are trusted. That is a, a big, it's a big thing. Like you that's have, right. it has to be the case. That's right. That's right. I imagine with all the shift in culture and sort of the pandemic and kind of all the things that were happening within the past few years, like there's probably a lot of shifts uh, that have had to happen even from a collaborative or meeting perspective. Do leadership meetings look different from let's say now compared to before? They do. We still keep them pretty high level and I do it in the office. Um, you know, I ask the team to be in the office. The only ones that um, are kind of exempt from that on a regular basis are, are my, my, my sales group because they do report directly to me. So they are part of my leadership meeting. It's really all my direct reports. And so, but they're usually traveling. So they, they're allowed to dial in, which is fine. They're allowed to sell. They're allowed they're, to I'd sell. Rather have, <laughs> I'd rather have they're selling than sitting here with me. So we do do it in person. It is once a week and it we cover topics like, um, you know, like uh, my CFO is sitting there. 
So we talk about, is there an issue with the forecast? Is there an issue with, you know, any kind of like wonky cost versus revenue situations that we have to figure out? You know, we talk about, hey, are you guys doing work without a PO? You, you know, that's not supposed to happen without my approval. Um, it's it's really high level things. And it's really more about what do you need from me? What do you need from my CFO? What do you need from HR? What what would move the needle for you guys? It's not really about going through like each their accomplishments for the week. I talk to them regularly. I know what you're doing and I can see it in your numbers. I don't need to hear that. I want to hear, do you have a, um, a, a resourcing problem? You know, do we need to scale more quickly for you? Do you know, what about recruiting? Do you need more recruiting efforts from HR? It's things like that that affect the entire company that we discuss as opposed to what you guys do this week, you know? It's water cooler talk. It's right. actually like, hey, how do we push the needle here? Come on, yeah. what are we going to do? Okay. But I think the other thing that's important too is I, I, I make sure that the sales team and the operations teams are meeting once a week. Not all together, sales with each division. And it, it only has to be 30 minutes, but you guys have to tie off because you don't want to be, the sales team doesn't want to be out there selling something that the ops team has no interest in. If there's an issue, if the ops are like, hey, I'm going to be about 100K short in revenue this month. You got to get me something, you know, that is a good time for them to, instead of just passing a bunch of emails back and forth, they do it remotely, which is fine because like I said, sales is usually on the road, but I, that is a requirement. Once a week, those teams have to tie off. So no, that makes sense. Would you, would you say that it's very metrics driven, those meetings or is it looser? Um. Well, those meetings are very metrics driven. The sales ops meetings are are very metrics driven. And and now, even with the leadership meetings, the board meetings, the ops meetings, whatever the, you know, regular meetings are, and we do have a cadence for those things. They're not every week. You know, we have our ops meetings once a month with each division. We have a board meeting every quarter. Um, but the one thing that we have since rolled out is a, is way more KPIs, you know, through Power BI. And those KPIs that the is they are a tool for for the teams so that they can make really educated, informed decisions when it comes to scaling down or, hey, you got sixty five percent margin here. Uh, do you guys need a few more people? Are these people like running really you know hot because we're used to seeing like forty here <laughs> or thirty here, you know. Um, so it gets them, you know, you know, really making good decisions on utilization, on productivity, you know, regular daily margins on each of their projects, so they can make those decisions. Um, so we're getting into that more data-driven culture than we've ever been, really. More culture, Power BI. I love yeah. love that. I and love it, my it dashboards. Really if I, I feel like if I can operate Power BI, anyone can because I am the least technical person. So <laughs> love that. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Justin here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. As you know, Will and I are business nerds and love talking to leaders who've scaled their businesses using people, process, and technology. If that's something to get you all jazzed up too, then do me a favor and hit the subscribe button. Don't forget to hit the little bell so you get notified every time we drop a sweet new episode. And if you know somebody who'd be an awesome guest on the show, send them our way. Just go to buildandscale.net slash guest. Now, 
back to the episode. Did this help you with standardizing or any type of standardization yes. uh, in terms of scale? Can you it, it explain? Really yeah, it really did. So, you know, each division had their own PMs and each of those PMs, there was no standardization for PMs. Um, they all, you know, had different roles and responsibilities. They all had different levels of accountability. Um, there was no standardized procedure for how do you be a PM at Fullerton? How are you a successful PM at Fullerton? And so about a year ago, it's been about a year now, we created a, a PMO. And so a project management office organization, however you Thank, want thank you for that. Yes. And so what the PMO does, and a lot of companies have a PMO that, and, and they do set standards and provide training for PMs. So for a PM in wireless who understands how to read a PNL, because I, I, I'm not responsible, you're, you're going to be responsible for your numbers. Um, the buck st stops with me, but you're going to be responsible for your numbers. So I got them trained up pretty quick on how to, how to understand their financials. But for maybe the other divisions, they didn't have that responsibility. Maybe it fell to a vice president or it fell to the president of the organization. So the PMO took that and created a training around that. They created training around, you know, just customer management as far as like response time. Response time to customers was all over the map. Now we have a KPI, if you will, as far as when, how, how long that should it really take to respond to a customer? So they the PMO creates a lot of trainings for the PMs to make sure they're standard. And, and the results of that for us in being able to scale then is if I get a huge construction project and maybe wireless is a little slow for the next couple months, as we're seeing with the depressed CapEx spend uh, this year, I can take some of those PMs and I can move them over here. Yeah, they might have a little learning curve with construction. They don't really need to know a lot about construction. They need to understand how to run a team. They need to understand how to run a project, how to run a program. And so if they're all trained the same and they're all responsible for the same things and they're all held to the same level of accountability, it's just a plug and play for us. Okay. So PNL, obviously training up on PNL with PMs, uh, since there was no standard there. I mean, financial, just doing financial metrics doesn't always give you the right outcomes, mm -hmm. uh, at least in my experience. Was there anything else that you had to train on or... Change yeah, I standardization. Mean, yeah, just the the specific roles and responsibilities. So, like for instance, some PMs in you know one division, all they did was like request and process POs. Okay, whereas in another division, they would um, run deployment meetings. They would handle customer um, calls. They would be a customer interface. Um, so, what we needed to do was standardize those roles and responsibilities because. It, we wanted PMs who can talk to customers. We wanted PMs who can manage specialists. And even if they weren't, even if they didn't have the experience, that's the kind of training we were providing for them. They just had to be open to it, right? And then we weeded out the ones really quickly that just weren't good managers. There's some people that are fantastic individual contributors. You guys know this, um, but they just aren't good at managing people. So we either find another role for them or, you know, we see what happens. Yeah, that, that goes to, uh, you know, aligning the culture again, right? Because yep. you're, you're saying like, this is how we are building it. We right. you, we want these this role to be client facing. Yeah, that means inherently something different than if you were a PM that was not client facing. Right. Yeah. Sales was a piece that uh, I think is a little near and dear to your heart. <clears throat> Do you have to make any changes there? 
We did. We did. We had um, really, we had to put more realistic, I think, you know, goals for them, more realistic. I mean, depending on where you're at, order intake or PO goals uh, for them to chase each year. But aside from that, we implemented the business case review that the PMO kind of took over. And the business case was was crucial because in the past, a lot of companies would do this. They would just use their experience and be like, oh, yeah, I think we could do it for that pricing, right? But they really wouldn't run it through a very robust business case. And that's one thing we were able to bring from SAC is that experience because we that was that was a standard for us there. So when we brought the PMO, when we created the PMO, we stuck that function in there. That function is usually under sales, but we're small. So it was okay to put it under PMO. And um, now every opportunity run goes through a business case. So we know what that expected outcome is going to be, what that expected margin is going to be, and if it falls within our threshold or not. And unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes ops doesn't want to take it. Sometimes finance is like, this is not a good opportunity. And that means that the sales team, you know, we're not taking this and we don't get credit for it. But it, it's it's working much better than it was because I was on the, I was, when I was in the, on the wireless side, I was stuck with a lot of work that just wasn't good work. There is such a thing as not good work, you know, and, and not all money is created. Not exactly. And so, you know, now with, with the inception of the business case, it's kind of, it, it kind of gives us a clear view as to which, which path to take. So that was implemented, does affect the sales team, but it, it's also pushing them to to go after the good opportunities, right? And so then then what we did was we brought in, you know, we brought in a new salesperson, kind of moved moved one of my other salespeople to lead the fiber team. We we moved, we did some shifting with just roles, and then we focused each salesperson on a specific scope. So, you know, this salesperson is doing it. You're chasing construction and wireless because that is. You, that's your network. You know, that is what makes sense. You have that network. This one over here, you're chasing fiber and, and macro design. You know, this one is chasing DAS. So we, we really kind of focused everybody. And I can't believe what a great first quarter they've all had just by letting them, instead of just running around and, you know, trying to pick up everything, knock on every door. And it just, it was very inefficient. And now I feel that they have this directed focus we're starting, the POs are starting to come in, which is great. Niches are found in, well, yes. mispronounced it's niches, but it's really niches. Reaches, so it's fine, <laughs> niches and reaches. <laughs> I just want to go back real quick. Yeah. When you said business, when you were talking about business case, mm-hmm. really what you're talking about, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is a profitability calculator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly okay. what it is. Which is only as good as its inputs. So <laughs> oh, garbage yeah. in, garbage out, or gold in, gold out. Yeah. So we found out really quickly that when we tried to, you know, we use been using it in wireless for a year um, because that's what we were used to. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I when I became CEO and I started to mandate that the other divisions, you know, it, it's not something that can be just set up overnight, like because it, it's different. It's you know, it's different labor resources. It's different, um, t- you know, milestones. It's different. It's just each division's different. So, but they had to work with our director of PMO to kind of get their inputs in correctly. And we 
in one division in particular, we got our inputs a little off. <laughs> so we ended up taking some work recently that I approved because I, you know, um, but live and learn. We're, we're, we're tweaking that. We're fixing it. But yes, it's only it's only really as good as the inputs. And then it, what it does, you're exactly right, is it just spits out like, what is your projected profitability here? What do you mean? It's a, 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 it's a, 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 we took on some bad work. The numbers said so. <laughs> yeah. The calculator couldn't be wrong. How is this not making any money? Like we we did the business case, and then we went back and we looked, and we're like, oh yeah, we only said we needed that it needed two people, and it really needed six, you know, or something like that. So, like I said, it was it was a work in progress, live and learn. But uh, well, lucky know, for smaller. that client. Yeah. Yeah. We're, and we're smaller. So, you know, we don't have the big resources that like a Nokia does or like a bigger, mm -hmm. you know, bigger company to get it right the first time. <laughs> so we're trial and error here. What about, you mentioned in our pre-interview, something about structure plus uh, efficiency. Do mm -hmm. you want to talk a little bit about that? What that is? Yeah. Yes, of course. So without any structure or processes and procedures, we were very inefficient. Okay. So, and all departments lacked that, all departments. So um, building out those processes, um, just just a step-by-step, -step, here's what you do. First, you get a PO and it goes into site tracker. Then, you know, here's your weekly deployment schedule and, you know, just making it very cadence. It just improved our efficiency immensely because things weren't getting dropped, right? The process provides for just about everything. So it wasn't there, things weren't being missed. You know, I think people actually felt like they had more direction. They weren't just kind of out there floundering. And those those efficiencies just, they they, they just came, you know, they, they did. And so I think it also goes to goes back to the people, you know, people have to buy into this, right? And so especially when you're working with a lot of legacy folks that have, you know, done things the way they've done them for so long, it takes a while for them to see that there is a better way. And I think we've done that. I think we've kind of changed that paradigm a little bit. The terminology that I've heard is FBA followed by all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you got your own spin on it, but it's pretty much yeah. the same thing to create yeah. efficiency. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's we great. Just, they needed to be, they absolutely needed, I mean, just being efficient picked up some cost savings too, you know, and that for a, a small company that's in such a, um, a kind of a volatile, you know, up and down uh, with the with the awards and and just how the industry operates, you know, we, we really, that's, you have to manage your costs when that revenue is so volatile, so. Another way uh, to manage costs uh, is something that you were just at the South uh, South Wireless Summit uh, as a right. moderator. Uh, one, one of the topics uh, that you uh, were addressing or bringing up yeah. was about outsourcing, offshoring, automation, yes. these things. Like how do we keep, because costs you know, keep driving down. How do we keep profitability? So what are what are your views when it comes to offshoring, you know, outsourcing and, and the likes of that? So the offshore, the offshore concept or outsourcing, whatever you want to call it, but offshore, if it's obviously outside of the U.S., yep. um, you know, the uh, that concept has to be able to solve a problem for you. OK, you can't like and price could be the only problem. That's not the only problem for us. OK, yes, we did need we do need to look at more um, cost effective options. Just like I said, given the competition out there. 
a lot of moms and pops, you know, pricing's being driven down. And, um, you know, when you have overhead and you're not just working out of your home, uh, you know, you, you have to find a way to, to stay competitive because if I charge what I actually need to charge to make the margins to, to support this entire, you know, in-office labor force that I have, I'll never win any work, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> there's people that are turning in much, much cheaper beds than I am. So that is a problem that does need to be solved cost for sure. But for me, for Fullerton, for my leaders, it's about what else can like, what other problem can you solve for me? What, what other problem does this solve? And and for us, as in many companies, this variable work, the start and stop, you know, we go through, you know, wireless is like, so so busy in the third quarter but in the yeah in the last quarter it just takes a dip i mean what are you going to do you're going to hire you're going to fire you're going to hire you're going to fire it's not it's not sustainable it kills your it just tanks your reputation in the industry um you know people are afraid like am i getting fired next month am i so for for us it's finding your core people which i think we have now and then as the variable workload comes in you're able to use the outsource model and turn that valve on and off, right? You don't have to mm-hmm. continue to pay for these people. You don't have to fire someone. You just, I, I, I don't have any work right now. So you turn it off. You pay by deliverable. You know, it's not, you're not paying for a head. And that along with the reduced overhead benefits, PTO, mm-hmm. you know, that that type of thing, it is, it now becomes a cost savings, but it also becomes more profitable during these peaks and valleys. That makes sense. So obviously there is uh, a stigmatism, I guess you could say. Some people have this, yeah. oh no, you like you, you possibly couldn't do this. But how, obviously if this is, you, costs are being driven down, how mm-hmm. how else could one? Well, price you know, is being driven down. Or, costs sorry, are costs are going up, price <laughs> is being driven down. Yeah. How, how could, what would be another option to do this? Like other than like you just have the best salespeople in the world that can jack the price up and sell because they sell ice to, uh, you know, yeah, polar bears. Like I don't, I don't know how I don't know how else you could go about that. Yeah, no, you really can't. And and a lot of our carriers, they understand that the price of labor has gone up. They understand the price of materials have gone up. And so they are making concessions. I don't want I don't want to make it seem like, you know, all of our carriers are forcing us to into bankruptcy that that's yeah. not what's happening. But like I said, the the competition is fierce out there right now. They have their choice of a lot of you know a lot of different vendors, and um, you know that combined with a lot of our customers are telling us that they're trying to they're trying to dwindle down their you know vendor pool. They're trying to have smaller vendor pools. So that's that's another thing that you're trying to like stay in the game. And and that is one thing that we did talk about at the at the uh, conference was you know, I had a carrier uh, on the, on the panel and I said, you know, you guys are, everybody's, everybody's trying to weed out their vendors and they're trying to really, you know, get that, whittle that down to, to, a, to a core vendor pool. That's really good performing, gives them good quality, gives them good pricing. What besides pricing, you know, what can somebody like me do to stay in the game? Like, how do I keep a, a market share with you when you're weeding out all these vendors? And he actually had, you know, some really good, you know, it's, it, he's, he said, Kelly, it's not just about price. And he said, it's, it's about problem solving. How can you be a better problem solver for us? You know, we come up against all of these issues day in and day out. 
you know, we're doing the best we can, but you as our vendor, you're not just there to like, you know, process a zoning application. If what can you do if it's from a design perspective, if it's from like a tricky landlord, like what are some solutions that you can do to keep the process moving for us? How creative can you be? And I thought that was really interesting that it's not, you know, we think like, oh, price, how are we going to meet this price? Your carriers are willing to talk to you if you can provide, just like a, an offshore can provide us a benefit, if we can provide added benefit to them. So I thought that was really interesting. That is, that is very, it's also being very candid with the uh, mm -hmm. concept of, yes, prices, it's always going to be a thing. Like there's, it's never going to be like, price is not an option ever. Like that yeah. doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right. That's how business works. But <laughs> there are other factors that you do have control over that's not just pricing. Yes. What about quality? Like that's, isn't that just a fear factor there around quality? Because yeah, first time it's not in your- success, We call that. Yeah. So yes, quality is a big issue in our business because when something is rejected, let's say from a jurisdiction goes to the bottom of the pile <laughs> and it could add another 30, 45 days onto that milestone forecast. And so quality is such a huge factor to the point where a lot of the carriers, tower companies, our, you know, our customers in general, they do put turnaround times on drawings. And so now you're, you're faced with maybe a three-day turnaround time, but the quality also has to be there because again, they can go to someone else. So what we've done is even if we're outsourcing a design, a drawing, let's say, I still have my core group of people who maybe they're not drafting anymore, but now maybe they're managing an outsourced vendor and they're quality checking that outsource. They're, they're being that second set of eyes. Yes, one should say, be able to say you're paying for, you know, this outsourced vendor to do it. Or shouldn't they have quality checkpoint? They should. And a lot of them do, but we're not willing to take the, the chance because there are so many other options out there. We have to make sure our quality is tight. So not just on the design side, but on the construction side, on the wireless side, on the DAS side, we always have somebody putting another set of eyes so that we can increase our odds of that first time through success. Yeah, it's your reputation that's on the line, not the right. outsource. And it's hard mm -hmm. to get back in once you get booted out. Let me tell you, it's hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Is there anything that you are currently outsourcing besides, let's say, some version of drafting? Or is it drafting or is it something else? It's drafting. And yeah, it's it's mostly our design work that gets outsourced. But from each of our departments, I think everybody except our construction team, which is just not possible, but fiber, DAS, wireless, all the a lot of the design work is is offshored. Now we also, however, we have customers that won't allow it. It just are, is part of our contract for security reasons or whatever. Um, so we do keep a contingent of, of designers and engineers in, you know, in-house as well, because it's not just drafting. We also do structural engineers or I mean, structural analysis. And so we have a team of structural engineers and we actually have a stamp. Somebody in our office has a stamp in every single state. So we can stamp drawings and structurals in every single state. And we're, we're really proud of that. Oh, good for you guys. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, uh, that's hard to do. So I want to move on to technology for a second. Uh, My least favorite topic. Oh, yeah. Processing technology. It is, it is no, Will's fine. favorite topic. <laughs> it's fine. So how do you leverage technology 
in your business to help you build scale? We heard a little bit about Power BI, but what else do you guys do or use uh, or maybe even implemented uh, in your tenure? So drones are a big part of our industry right now. Um, drone technology is a big, big part of our industry. It's taken the place of site walks a lot of the time. Sometimes it can't, rooftops, things like that. But and there's times when we we don't we are are we don't have that that capability in house. I don't have anybody trained and certified to do that. But we do we have outsourced um, so that we could get instead of sending me putting someone on a plane and going out to Montana to walk a site. You know we do engage a drone company to, you know, to, to do that. Additionally, sometimes drone footage is just available to us. It's just by our carrier or tower company or whoever our customer, whoever our customer is. And so, you know, we have the platforms to be able to just utilize that drone footage as opposed to, again, sending somebody out to a site. I think the other way that we're really looking at using automation and technology is on the drafting side. So now we go from, so, so we kind of graduated to the, to the offshoring and, and outsourcing. And now the next step is that automation of being able to, you know, kick out, you know, a set of drawings and in, in a matter of minutes. And we have a, a company that we're, that we're, you know, looking to partner with there. And it's really exciting. There's some questions around it and it's just for my pure ignorance on my part. Um, and so I've, I'm continuing to work with this company because, you know, I, I know that there are cookie cutter sites. There are, they're out there. But what about when you have, you know, these various anomalies that come up and, and so I'm trying to understand how that is a benefit to us. And, but I think that is definitely the next step and maybe it's just, Maybe it's just the easy cookie cutter sites that it makes sense. But I know that there's a lot of companies that are using services like that. They're using automation like that. And so we kind of got to jump into, into the game here. We just had a intro call this morning with uh, somebody that is very deep in the automation space. And one of the things that he had said to us was, you think of the end goal, right? Like, don't think to solve the problem. Think of the end goal of where you want to go and where you want to be. And like being able to design something how, how as fast as you can in minutes, right? In comparison, yeah. um, that has an inherent massive customer experience, client experience value that isn't just, hey, I need to make this done cheaper or something like that. It's like mm -hmm. this this gives us an edge now, right? Like we're talking right. about, it's not a it's not inherently a price thing. It is a, now we have an edge because we can make that turnaround so fast. Right, right. Now you're exactly right. And, and I'm excited about it. Like I said, I need to be more educated on, educated on it. So I have a couple sessions with him next week because it is something that I think it does, like you said, it, it does give you that edge, keeps you competitive, but also having that database then you know, is, is such a benefit as well, instead of having, you know, all these folders that we, have, you know what I mean? So um, I, that, that also becomes a benefit. So, and, and the good thing about the company that I'm working with is they are engineers and they, you can also kind of do like this add on package where it's like a QC thing. And so mm -hmm. I, that is also very interesting to me, you know, given the, the, the demands that we have from our customers. That's me. QC can take a long time, uh, especially if there's back and forth on yeah, exactly. those components. So, and, and if he can do a revision in 30 seconds, what would take my people, you know, 30 minutes or an hour to do like, that's, that's great. And it's his revision, you know, I mean, he, they, 
they're quality checking their own work. So you guys make the revit, you know, you guys take care of that and get it back to me in its final form. So yeah, I, I'm excited about it. That's fun times. That's exciting. New yeah. horizons. Those are always. Fun. I know we've arrived. Fullerton has arrived. Yes. You've done a lot of work on culture. Yeah. You've done plenty on process. And of course, I'm plenty more, plenty more to do. Mm-hmm. Technology, you know, sounds like there's some work that needs to be done on the technology side. What would right. be, what would be most beneficial to Fullerton uh, to sort of implement? from a technology perspective. Obviously, I won't hold you to it, but just out of curiosity, because I hear how much time you've already spent in the other two. Yeah, I I really don't know, you know, really off the off the top of my head, only be I honestly, I haven't given it much thought outside of the um, automation for us, because, you know, we're a design company by I mean, that was that was what Fullerton was founded on. They're founded as a design company on Fullerton Avenue in Chicago, hence the name. And they, you know, th- that was, that's always been their core competency was design. And so, you know, I think, I, I think in my mind, I'm like, we gotta, we gotta make that robust. You know, we gotta keep going with that. So I, I don't really know what other directions we're going to go with technology right now. I, I, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't have a good answer for you there. No, that's okay. Honest answers are always good answers. That's <laughs> what I always say. And uh, this next question, I hope, is the most honest of answers. So there's a question we ask everybody that's on the show. It's our last question. And it is, if you could go back 20 years, what would you tell yourself? That's 2003, by the way, for reference. Yeah. Yeah, 2003. So I, I, I know I was just talking to you guys before we started taping about, like, you know, I'm the whole woman in this industry thing. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of just areas that, you know, our industry, just like most need to improve with more diversity. Um, But if I, if I could go back and I think about, you know, 20 years ago and how I was just like working and trying to learn everything I can and trying to, you know, working a little harder than everybody else and, you know, having to prove myself a little bit more, I kind of missed the journey. You know, I missed I miss the enjoyment of the climb, really, right? And so I I would tell myself not to take yourself so seriously. I would tell myself to let yourself enjoy every new experience that you're learning because in 20 years, all of that, you know, sleepless nights and crying because you were passed over for something, it's not even going to matter because you're going to be awesome. You know, that's what I would say. That's great. I, Those are wise words. Great. Were you still uh, road warring? Road warring? I was not. I um. I was not. I actually was getting ready to have my second child at that time. Oh, so, all right. Um, I was not at that time. I believe I was probably a PM at that time. All right. Yeah. And now look at you. Look at yeah. this. It's wild. So. Yeah, I know. And we didn't have a lot of women in our industry back then, so I, you know, it was always that I was constantly competing with my male counterparts and please do not misunderstand me. I had some fantastic male mentors. I had, I was so fortunate. I know people, a lot of people aren't as fortunate as me. And I I was so fortunate at SAC to have men who, who a lot of men who, who really did believe in equality amongst just the best person for the job, not the best man for the job. And um, I was, I'm sure a lot of it was like, 
in my head, I was young and I'm like, you know, I'm seeing that there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of me's here. It's a lot of, you know, a lot of he's. And I think I was just really, really struggling to like make my mark and I wasn't enjoying or uh, really appreciating the great company I was working for and the fun, the journey of it. And, and, and I would say I would just really took myself a little too seriously and I would go back and say, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> awesome. That's great. That That's all of it. So okay. is there anything else you'd like to tell the people before we uh, log off here? I don't, I would just like to say thank you so much for, for having me. I love the podcast. I've listened to a few more now and I, I just love it. I think you guys are great. I think you guys keep it so honest and approachable and and that is so refreshing. It's just incredibly refreshing for somebody like me who's kind of seen it all anyway. And now I, I just like to talk about real stuff and you guys are, you guys are exactly like that. So thank you so much for having this podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, awesome, thank awesome. you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And thank you for staying authentic. Yes. All right. Authentic. Well, we That's will, the word I couldn't think of. Thank you. Well, we will you. throw all the social media, all that kind of stuff in the show notes uh, for people. Uh, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, is there a good way for them to do that? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I, I'm on our website, which is um, FullertonEngineering.com. Um, but my it's my first initial last name, Kayla Zuka at FullertonEngineering.com. You can reach out to me anytime. Awesome. All righty. Well, uh, I hope everybody had a good time listening. And until next time, adios. Adios. Thanks for listening to Building Scale. To help us reach even more people, please share this episode with a friend, a colleague, or on social media. Remember, the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. And our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. So if you think your company's technology pillar could use some improvement, book a call with us to see how we can help maximize your IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. And until next time, keep keep building building scale. scale.